Thanks for joining us for today's message. We are always so encouraged to hear how God is working through this ministry to change lives. If you have a story to share about how God has worked in your life, then let us know by sending us an email to mystory@timberlakechurch.com. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so by giving online at timberlakechurch.com slash give. Enjoy the message. Well, how are you doing? Are you ready for a great Easter? Yeah, well, that's good, at least some of you. <laughs> I hope I don't disappoint you. You know, it's sort of funny. Uh, we had uh, services last night, and as someone was leaving, uh, the good news is the person said, hey, that they were going to be back. Uh, the guy leaves and says, hey, see you next year. <laughs> and I'm like, well, at least you're coming back. That's a great thing. Uh, hey, we're glad if this is your first time to church, if you regularly come here. Um, I've shared my story. I never grew up ever going to a church Christmas or Easter, so I know that sometimes it can uh, be a little bit of an intimidating experience. Uh, but really, this is a great celebration uh, that we have. And what I want to do is I want to bring some clarity uh, to that because it can be confusing. In fact, we had our kids egg hunt. I was seeing that uh, last night and uh, there was someone, they had a basket for the candy for the kids, but it was orange and it had a jack-o'-lantern on it. <laughs> wrong holiday, <laughs> wrong holiday. <laughs> Candy's the same, but wrong holiday, you know. The, uh, and I know there can be all sorts of confusion. Uh, I want to do is I want to clear that up. Uh, hey, by the way, if you are say, hey, I'm not a religious person. Uh, my religious friends dragged me here for Easter. Uh, then for you, I have to say, happy April Fool's. That's awesome, you know. <laughs> we all get to celebrate something this weekend. Uh, you know, there were uh, some kids, people who were asked, if they believed anything as kids that they thought was, you know, sort of silly, I came across a few of these. Maybe you'll think they're funny. I certainly did. Uh, one person says this, I believe that if I rub my fingers endlessly on my dad's steering wheel, I could get rid of my fingerprints. This was important as I was planning to grow up to be a cattle rustler and a horse thief. Here's another one. Uh, I believe that uh, the only tongue was the one in my mouth. So when my mother was teaching me to tie my shoes and she told me to pull my tongue out, I started crying. Uh, I believe that Lifesavers candy kept you alive. My great-grandma gave me a tiny roll of them and told me, if you lose your Lifesavers, you die. By the way, what kind of grandma is that? Uh, when she died, <laughs> well, okay, there you go. Uh, that summer, I told everyone it was because she lost her Lifesavers. And she lies to her grandkids. Anyway, so uh, I believe that people who told me I could, well, that's sort of, okay, anyway, uh, I could be anything I wanted. So I thought I would grow up and be a cow. <laughs> I believe that if the ice cream truck was playing music, it meant that it was out of ice cream. Thanks, Mom. <laughs> now, that's a good parent. That's a good parent, isn't it? You know? Yeah, better than that than visiting the creepy guy in the ice cream truck. Anyway, uh, there, there's so many beliefs we have, and what we believe to be true is really, it is, you know, a personal thing, but it's an important thing, too. It affects 
uh, how we live. It affects how we react to things. Uh, one of my favorite stories is, uh, is way back in the 19th. Well, how many of you remember the show Punked? How many of you remember that show? Yeah, that was a great show, great, you know, uh, uh, great cinematic piece there. <laughs> and so, uh, but before there was Punked, there was way back in the old days, there was a show uh, called Candid Camera with Alan Fun. Any of you ever heard of that one? Yeah, any of you that saw that one? Okay, yeah, that's great. And you're still around. That's great. No, that, uh, yeah. So uh, here's, here's where the story goes is there, there were a bunch of people, I believe it was Miami, Florida, they were on a plane and what had happened is uh, it got hijacked. It was one of really the, one of the first hijackings that happened. And the, the, the terrorists who had hijacked the plane uh, were taking it to Cuba. And the, the problem was is that they didn't do very well because uh, what happened on the plane, it was they were completely disruptive. The, pa the passengers, uh, they didn't take the hijacker seriously because also on that plane was Alan Funt from Candid Camera. And so, no, true story, true story. They would, uh, when they told him to do something, everyone would laugh. They said, put your hands up, and literally the plane broke out in applause. Yeah, that's awesome. And people were having a good time and being silly and all of that. And it wasn't until the only person who was frightened to death on that plane was Alan Funt. Because <laughs> he knew this was no joke. And when they got in Miami, everyone else found out, whoa, this, this thing really was real. And when we look at Easter, what, what we need to do, and often here's what I do, is I, I look at the implications for our life. How we can, uh, really what the Bible says, that same power that raised Jesus from the dead, it can be effective in our life. When it comes to our regret, when it comes to our failure, when it comes to the broken relationships that we can have, when it comes to that sense of, I know I was made for something more. And so, really, I, that's what I usually look at every year. But, but this year, here's what I want to do. I know that there are many of us, uh, maybe we've come from a, a background where faith wasn't part of it, or we just hear, you know, sort of things about, you know, this Easter thing, man, it, it just seems... Like, like a stretch. You know, uh, someone dies and then they rise again. I mean, dead people usually stay, stay dead. And so, uh, I get it. I get it. So, what I want to do is uh, I want to look at what is not disputed about Jesus by any serious person. Even people who are committed atheists, they believe in another religion, they would say, we don't really di dispute these things about Jesus. I, I want to see, uh, also look at why we really uh, can have a confident faith and how the resurrection is part of that. And we can even have a confidence in that. And then the implication for our lives. Sound good? Okay, it doesn't matter, I have the mic, so I'm going to do it anyway, but, <laughs> but I'd at least like some assent here, you know. Uh, so here's what is not, and, and so, uh, it, by the way, if you say I'm, I'm sort of an intellectual person, you pick the best weekend ever to be at church. Uh, because this is, and not only am I looking at scripture, I've looked at uh, many other uh, resources, and you can uh, as well. What is not disputed? 
One, that Jesus existed. There is no serious scholar who doubts that Jesus existed. In fact, the funny thing is, it was only relatively recently in history, it was a French scholar uh, who said he didn't know if he believed Jesus existed. And, the, and even non-Christian scholars said that's absolutely ridiculous. In fact, uh, when Jesus lived, there was all sorts of controversy in his lifetime and afterwards. There were Greek and there were Romans and, and, and Jewish scholars who wrote against this Jesus movement. But do you know of all the writings that surrounded Christianity in early Christianity in those first hundreds of years that there really, there's no scholarship, no serious scholarship, not one that disputes that Jesus existed. That was never ever part of the conversation. So we all know that there was a guy named Jesus and he lived and where he lived, sort of the neighborhood in Israel or Palestine depending on your perspective. And then here's another thing that's not disputed. Uh, he was a religious leader who was said to have performed miracles. Now, interestingly enough, you say, hey, I may not believe in miracles. Uh, many of the critics of Jesus, uh, they did not dispute he performed miracles. They actually just said he was a sorcerer or he worshiped the devil, and that's how he did the, the miracles. But people claimed that he did miracles and uh, that he was a religious leader. Also, what is not disputed is that he claimed divine nature. Now, interestingly enough, you, you find really only in the past uh, 100 years or so, which out of 2,000 years of history, 150 years, has there been anyone who's really seriously claimed, well, Jesus didn't think he was divine. In fact, if you look at the Hebrew scriptures, uh, they, they will, or the scripture we find in the New Testament and some of the Hebrew writings, uh, Jewish writings around that, Jesus was killed for blasphemy. Uh, in fact, uh, in the New Testament, we, we read that uh, they're about ready to uh, stone uh, Jesus. To, and by the way, the, I always have to say this because this is Washington State. When I mean stone, I mean throw rocks. I don't mean party with Jesus. That's not what I'm talking about. So they were going to throw stones at him and uh, kill him. And he says, for which one of these miracles are you stoning me for? And they said, no, it's because you claim to be son of God, making yourself equal with God. And so, like I said, this is, these are not disputed. That he died on a cross. Uh, there are so many writings uh, about Jesus. Now, some would say the reason he died on the cross, they, they might uh, have a different reason than we find in the Scripture. Tactus, who is a Roman scholar who did not like Jesus or Christian, in his book, uh, Annals, very famous piece of ancient literature, he writes about Jesus uh, by the way, and Christians, and what he writes, it, co uh, it correlates with a record we find in the New Testament, that his followers claimed that he was raised from the dead. Now, some people may not believe he was raised from the dead, but people know his followers claim that he died and he rose again, and that this led to a movement known as Christianity. At first, it was known as the sect of Judaism, and people were called followers of the way. And in fact, uh, when uh, Christians would go out and do uh, great, 
great works in, in uh, the name of Jesus. They would call them Christians, which actually uh, was, was not a positive term. It was they were making fun of them, saying, oh, you're, you're trying to just be like that Jesus guy. And that people claim that he is still transforming lives today. Now, again, you may or may not believe in that, and that's where we move from history to our reality. Is if there was that Jesus, well, we know there was a Jesus. We know he claimed to be divine. We know it was said he performed miracles, that he died on a cross, that he had followers, that this movement Christianity came out. And, and if that's all true and he did rise from the dead, then maybe he can work in my life today, because if, if you can beat death, you can beat anything. So the real central question is this, is the resurrection real? Uh, now I know for some of you who are raised in church, you're like, oh, a pastor should never even ask that question. Well, you have to forgive me, I'm not church broke, I, I uh, didn't know you're not supposed to ask those questions in church. I've shared before, when I grew up, actually, do you know how my, my parents, how I got my allowance? We played poker as a family, and I had to win my allowance. <laughs> now you know why I am the way that I am, don't you? So I didn't know that there were questions that were off limits, but I, I think that this is a really good question, because if it's true, it changes everything. And if it's not, it's just one of those things. I mean, sure, there might be a couple billion people who celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, but they could be wrong. So the question is, is there any evidence? Is it a leap of faith or is it a step of faith? When Jesus' own followers were looking for him, they, they went to the grave. They thought he was dead. Uh, some ladies had come to re-embalm him. He had he had been embalmed, but they didn't think the men had done it right. And they didn't expect Jesus to be alive. They didn't come with, you know, protein drinks and energy bars. They, they came with embalming salts. And then this is what they experience. There's an angelic type being that says, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you when he was still with you. The Son of Man will be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day raised from the dead. And then they remembered his words. See, the important thing is the foundation of Christianity is not a philosophy of life. By the way, there are many people who come to Timberlake Church and you say, you know, I, I, I'm not a Christian. I don't even know if I'm ever going to become one. But you say, these, these principles, man, they are so effective in my life. My life's gotten better. That's, that's true, but it's not the central thing. It, the central thing in, about Christianity is not just doing good for people. Is that a byproduct? Yeah. I mean, I would argue that you can't find another faith movement in the world that's done anything close on the scale, even today. When you look at just in pure dollars and, and service to people around the world, it's just unparalleled, this Jesus movement. But that's not the foundation. The foundation is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That someone who was quite dead came to life and authenticating what he said. Because, he, see, he, 
he knew people wouldn't believe what he said about himself. That, that God had, had come to earth and done so, so that you and I could know him. That we could know God in a personal way, that we could have our sins forgiven, and that we could have a relationship with God. So, so why would we believe the resurrection? I'm going to just list a few things, and, and you see, I'm sure there's plenty more, but these are some that I personally find compelling. Maybe you will as well. Is one is the empty tomb. That the tomb was empty. And you say, well, what's a big deal about the empty tomb? Well, here's a picture of a burial tomb that you would uh, see in ancient Israel. When they, they, there was a stone, this is from about the time of Jesus, when there's a rock like that in front of that, if if that rock's there, you're not going to push it out of the way, are you? When they seal you up in that thing, you're pretty much sealed up. And so the tomb was empty. In fact, the, the, the scripture tells us, and actually the Roman literature corroborates this, is that there were, uh, it was not only sealed, there were guards there. They were afraid because he'd made these crazy claims that he was going to rise again from the dead. And so they didn't want anyone to steal the body. And so they were going to do everything to seal it up, to have guards. And the guards, by the way, if you didn't do your job as a guard and you let a prisoner get away, the guards actually would be executed. That's what happened in Roman culture. So they had incredible incentive not to take a bribe. So in that, the tomb was empty. How do you explain that? It says, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women uh, took spices they'd prepared, and I talked about that, and went to the tomb, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered... They did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Well, there have been theories over the year, and I just want to acknowledge some of these theories. Uh, uh, people, people would say, well, maybe Jesus really didn't die on the cross. It's called the swoon theory, that he just sort of passed out on the cross. Well, if you know anything about history at all, you know the Romans were actually really good at killing people. Uh, when they crucified people, no, no one really got up and said, oh, that wasn't that bad, and walked away. Uh, and, and in fact, uh, they would, uh, usually people would suffocate. I mean, there, there'd be bleed, the bleeding, you'd bleed out if you didn't suffocate. And of course, in Jesus' case, not only would he bleed out and suffocate, they took a spear and they just put it right up into his innards just to triple check that he was dead. And so that just doesn't seem to make much sense. There's the all lied theory. Well, maybe his, his disciples all lied. Uh, well, the problem with that is all but one, one John was actually uh, exiled to an island. He was, he was exiled and imprisoned. He got the good part. The other were all murdered because they would not recant what they said about Jesus rising from the dead. Now, you might be able to get one or two or seven or eight, but all of them? That, that's, a, that's a maybe a bridge too far for me. Maybe you believe that. There, now, now, one of my favorite. this is also from the 70s, uh, they, you, it was called the shroom theory that all the people were eating magic mushrooms. And this is out of, I think it originated in Eugene, Oregon. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and that probably didn't happen. Uh, the wrong tomb. Now, this is, a, this is really sort of an interesting theory. And, and if you didn't know 
all the history around it, you maybe could believe this. Uh, that, that maybe they just went to the wrong tomb and they just forgot where Jesus was buried. Well, one, there wouldn't have been that many tombs that were fresh and people that were buried. And this upended the religious and political systems of the known world. They had every reason to go ahead and present the body. In fact, that would have been so easy if it, that was true. See, think about this. All they would have had to do, the Jesus movement would have been completely done and over had they just said, by the way, here's the body. It was in the wrong tomb. And then there's the mass hallucination. Well, if, if you read the scriptures, and uh, you know that Jesus appeared to about 520 people. And so 520 people at separate times in separate places having the exact same hallucination. I think that's more, that's more difficult to believe than Jesus rose from the dead. So the tomb was empty, and there's no credible explanation, nor has there been, for that being. And it was fairly well, from a historical perspective, compared to almost anything else, really well attested to. And then there's also uh, credible witnesses. Um, in fact, I, I want to read, this is actually from uh, someone who, he didn't like Christianity that much, uh, but he writes sort of in a nice way. His name was Josephus. He was a Jewish scholar. He says, now about this time, Jesus, a wise man, if it be lawful to call him a man, for he was a doer of wonderful works. He was a Christ, and when Pilate, at the suggestion of principal men among us, had him condemned on the cross, he appeared to them alive again on the third day. The divine prophets had foretold these things. And the tribe of Christians, so from his name, do, are not extinct to this day. And there are many people that write about it as if it's fact. And, and when we read in the Bible, there was this tax collector named Matthew who worked for the Roman occupiers, and he left that. And, and he wrote a, a book that we find in the Bible, one of the books of the Bible, and it chronicles his life with Jesus. And there was a young man named Mark who hung out with Peter, and Peter told him about what Jesus was like, and Mark was there somewhere in the periphery as well, and he wrote a book about Jesus, and so we believe that. And there was Luke, who was a doctor, and he was not Jewish. Yeah, he actually did some research. He did a research project on Jesus, and, and, and he came to the same conclusion. And there was this guy named Paul who was very anti-Jesus, and yet God appeared to him in a miraculous way. And then he, he told people, in this we read in the Bible, he says, for what I received, I passed on to you of first importance, that Christ died to, for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve, and after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom who are still living, though some have fallen asleep. And so we see this credible witness out of, after credible witness that talks about Jesus. Now, see, here's the thing, and, and, and I, I just want to get you to get this. So Jesus appeared to about 520 people, and the Jerusalem was only a city of about 100,000 people. Think it's smaller than Everett, Washington, not even 40% of the size of Bellevue. And imagine if there were five, over 500 people 
uh, let's say, in about the size of the city of Issaquah, and let's throw in Duval for good measure, <laughs> and you'd say, hey, if there's over 500 people in Issaquah and Duval, I could talk to one of them. And yet, nothing ever came of this thing except that Jesus was who he said he was and did what he said he did. And why is this a big deal? Because the most important thing you believe in life is what you believe about God. Because that changes what you believe about your future. It changes what you believe about your relationships. It changes how you view your life in light of eternity. It changes how you deal with the shame of the things and the guilt of the things that you've done and no matter what wishful thinking or some sort of idea that I do a little good and that makes the people feel better that I hurt really works. But it, it's a real deal. It's God making a way for you and me. There were also foretold events, and uh, can't, I don't want to go into all of it. There are 322 prophecies that talk about Jesus coming. It says in John 24, or uh, uh, Luke 24, 27, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in the scriptures concerning himself. See, there were, there were all these things about when he would be born, he couldn't control that. So the lineage of his family, these are things out of his control. Yet they, they're evidence for who Jesus was and what Jesus did. And so with that, we believe. And then there was Jesus' own claims. We find this again and again, and, and I, I, I don't want to overwhelm you with this, but I just want you to know that I find it harder not to believe than to believe. When I went to college at the University of Washington, uh, which, by the way, is not a Christian theological institution, I just want you to know that, uh, and uh, although interesting, uh, uh, met some wonderful Christ follower professors there, uh, despite the culture that was really anything but affirming of that, uh, I would sometimes go for a run around Green Lake. And I would start the run around Green Lake as an agnostic. Like, I don't know if I can believe all this Jesus thing. And then I would remind myself of all these things. And as I would end the run, I'd be a Christian again. I'd say, no, this makes sense. I can stake my life on it. See, Jesus, he was not taken by surprise by this. It said, Jesus took the twelve aside and told them, we are going to Jerusalem, and everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled, and he will be handed over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. And on the third day, he'll rise again from the dead. He, he was saying, this is what's going to happen. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then later in the scripture, he also says uh, in John 14, 9, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. And yet, of all these reasons, and, and those are just some, and I say that because some people say, well, Jesus was just, you know, he was just sort of like this great teacher. He never claimed he was God. Oh, he absolutely did. C.S. Lewis, one of the great writers, said, he said, don't believe any of this nonsense about Jesus being a good teacher. Because he made these claims. And either he was a liar, because he, and uh, he was lying about being 
God in the flesh. He was a lunatic, he said, on the, on the level of someone who thinks they're a poached egg. Or he was the Lord that he claimed to be. But for me, I think the most powerful one, personally, is personal transformation. The transformation that you and I can experience, the transformation that we see in the Scripture. It says in Acts 14, 13, when they saw the courage of Peter and Paul, they realized they were unschooled and ordinary men. They were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. See, they, they, they knew that these guys couldn't have the confidence they had on their own. I mean, do you remember, if, if you've ever been around the Bible, Peter denied Jesus three times. And by the way, it wasn't in front of a spear of a Roman soldier. He denied he knew Jesus to a middle school girl, which middle school girls can be frightening, so I don't want to be too hard on Peter. Uh, but he, he denied, and yet all of a sudden he has his courage. He has his confidence. He has this sense of faith. And I got to tell you, that's a bit of my story, is that I have a confidence. I'm not that confident of a person, but I have ultimate confidence in Jesus and in his work in me. There's a story I, I, I told a few years back. It's one of my favorites by Max Lucado. It's a true story. And he tells in 1899, there was a the death of two famous people in the same year. Robert Ingersoll, the, the humanist, the, the writer, philosopher, and Dwight L. Moody, who uh, was a a preacher, he was also did incredible charitable works in his name, and they shared so much in common. Both had uh, actually been raised in a Christian home. Ingersoll rejected faith, and, and he, he just saw it as, as something he didn't want for his life. And then Moody went the other way. He had been sort of living life on his own, and he decided that it made more sense to follow Jesus. And they both died. And it's interesting. You see how they viewed, how their faith changed, how they even viewed death and their families. Ingersoll died suddenly, and since his, his hope was just in this life, and so was his family, literally uh, the body stayed in the home for days. And because there was health concerns of the decaying body, they had to finally take him away. Because they thought this was it. And for Moody, it was different. On December 22, 1899, it, uh, Lucado writes, Moody awoke to his last winter dawn. Having grown increasingly weak during the night, he began to speak in slow measured words. Earth recedes, heavens opens before me. His son Will, who was nearby, hurried across the room to his father's side. And he said, Father, are you dreaming? He said, no. He said, this is no dream, Will. It's beautiful. It's it's, if this is death, it's sweet. God is calling me, and I must go. Don't call me back. At that point, his family gathered around, and he went to be with the Lord. And at the funeral of Dwight Moody reflected that same confidence that he faced death with. There was no despair. Many remembered the words he had spoken earlier that year in New York City and were quoted in the local paper where he said, someday you will read in the papers that Moody is dead. Don't you believe a word of it? At that moment, I'll be more alive than I am now. 
I was born in 1837, but I was born of God in 1855. That which is born of flesh may die, but that which is born of God will live forever. And there was that confidence. I remember I shared that story many years ago uh, in a church I pastored in Santa Barbara. And afterwards, I had one of those oh-no moments as a pastor. A lady came up, her name's Laura, and she said, uh, that was an amazing story. You know, I'm Robert Ingersoll's great-great-granddaughter. I'm like, okay, that's awkward. This is awkward. She said, you're absolutely right about my family. Our hope is only in this life, never in God. And she said, but it's going to change with me. And a few weeks later, she was baptized. A few months later, her whole family was baptized. And literally, that story was changed. And here's the great thing about the power of the resurrection, of Jesus resurrected from the dead. That's the power to change your story. No matter where you find yourself today, that God will meet you in that place. In fact, you know, oftentimes we hear uh, stories of people who attend here, which, uh, who, who said, you know, how I've come to faith, and I think those are really important. And today I want to do something that's a little different. I want you to hear one of the stories of one of the people who, who lead you, one of our pastors on staff, because we all have that same story of at some point saying, God, I, I need you. And I believe that no matter what's happened in the past, no matter what's happened to me, that, God, there's hope for me. I want you to hear Chris's story. Thank you for listening to the Timberlake Church Podcast. Stay connected with us by visiting TimberlakeChurch.com or follow us on Twitter or Facebook. 